Welcome to VC for Stupid Idiots. We are your idiots, Marianne, Michelle, and Francesco from NomadicMinds.Capital. Here, we interview the best investors on the planet to learn their secrets and tell them a lot of bad jokes. Then, we use their knowledge to invest in emerging market startups. Because this is the most effective way to lift people out of poverty and make outstanding returns. If you want to see what we are investing in this week, please join us at nomadicminds.capital. Welcome to our podcast, VC for Stupid Idiots, where we have our superstar guest with us today, Meb. And I am, well, you can guess what I am. Mev, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to be where you are today? Sure. Well, I'm based here in Los Angeles, looking out at the ocean. Uh, my day job is running a traditional asset manager here. Uh, we have 12 public ETFs, uh, a little over a billion dollars in assets under management, a global investor. So we invest everywhere in public securities, have almost 100,000 investors. Um, wasn't always like this. We put out a lot of content. We got books and white papers and uh, traditional academic stuff. You can download our books for free on our website and even a podcast. But uh, my origin story would have gone back to university. I graduated at the peak of the, the OG bubble in our world, the first internet bubble in 99. I started out as a biotech guy, spent a little time as a ski bomb in Lake Tahoe. If you've ever been, uh, could have probably stayed there forever and slowly gravitated, traded into my skis for a surfboard. Now live at the beach and uh, got started down here pre-financial crisis and been at it ever since. What a background. Uh, what have you enjoyed most about your investing venture? You know, um, every day, uh, is, is an adventure, uh, it's well put. I haven't made it to Africa yet. I need to come see you guys. We just did a whole podcast series on startup investing in Africa, which has been a lot of fun. Um, look, you know, you, you get, uh, to work with some of the smartest people in the world on the private startup side, the entrepreneurs, kick-ass entrepreneurs doing, uh, the coolest things, making the world a better place on the public side. It's like the world's biggest Rubik's cube. Um, you know, you're going up every day against some of the smartest people in the world. And on top of that, you know, there's billions of dollars at stake and uh, trying to figure out that um, that puzzle is, is endlessly entertaining and exciting. And so, um, you know, and also mission driven. I think, uh, you know, our company very much believes in the uplifting power of inclusive capitalism uh, and how entrepreneurship and and starting amazing companies can help change the world for better. And so, uh, you know, there's there's something to get you out of out of bed in the morning as well. You spoke about Africa. Um, so I was wondering what your thoughts are on emerging ecosystems. You know, uh, we spend a lot of time on the public side talking about investing all around the world. Most investors only invest in their own country uh, or what's familiar to them, and it's called home country bias. So U.S. investors put all their money in the U.S., Japanese put all their money in Japan, on and on. And so uh, that's a huge mistake because the world is a big place. And as we know, um, if you focus on one tiny subset, 
often uh, you don't get the full picture. And, and many of the investing regimes can last a decade or more. So the U.S. has crushed everything else in the world, public stocks for the past decade. And they did that also in the late 90s. But before that, it hadn't happened since 1910s. So 100 years ago. Um, so it normally makes sense to look everywhere. And it goes back to the old Charlie Munger quote about talking about um, you know, if you want to be a great fisherman, go where the fish are, not where just it's super crowded and everyone else is fishing. So I love emerging markets. A fun quiz for people is often that, uh, you know, emerging markets are most of the world's GDP. A lot of people don't know that. And a lot of the demographics, particularly the African continent, are huge tailwinds, uh, both on the public and the private side. And it seems like there's been an inflection point. Uh, I don't know if it's been in the past year, two, three years, particularly on the startup scene. You're seeing um, some really big moves happen, acquisitions, M&A, companies that are hitting the uh, gravitational, getting out of gravitational orbit and scaling to, you know, a, a real size with revenues and traction. It's exciting to watch. Yeah. And is there a like success story that you can share with us that got you really excited, like one of your best investments? Yeah, so on the on the public side, you know, we're doing the public funds. On the private side, I've invested in over 300 companies um, going back to May 2014, I think, and started noticing, uh, in particular, you know, speaking to Africa, uh, you know, some some really interesting deals come across the plate. Um, Chipper Cash was a seed investor there, and they've certainly been a big breakout success. Um, you know, I, I think we wrote a piece on our blog called Journey to 100x. I tend to be very transparent. You know, the, the average mutual fund manager in the U.S. owns zero dollars in their own fund. I disclose totally how I invest my money, um, put most of my public assets into our public funds. I talk about all the private companies I've invested in. Uh, if you just Google how I invest my money, Meb Faber, that'll show up. Um but, you know, they're walking through this journey with all the um, the warts and the losses and the companies that have gone bankrupt into zero, but also the ones that have been rocket ships, you know, and, and um, this is a game of, and a lot of people misunderstand this, by the way, investing in the private markets, it's well understood that the big winners is what you're looking for. These power laws, you know, uh, are, all your returns are determined by these um, subset of big winners that's true in public markets too so the amazons the walmarts the mcdonald's people get that same on the private market so it's fun we've seen main street has been um, a fun one grove fab fit fun uh obviously you can't count your chips until uh, there's an actual liquidity event where they go public or merge but there's a lot that are really exciting uh, progress so far and do you see any connection between these successes like any found a trait or skill Yes and no. I mean, I think there's a certain amount of table stakes. You know, uh, the biggest compliment we always tell entrepreneurs, um, but this is also true of my world, which is, you know, investors. Say the biggest compliment you can give anyone in entrepreneurship is simply that they survive, meaning um, they still exist. And there's a statistic if you look at public stocks, two thirds of public stocks underperform the index over time. So, like the SP 500, about half, half, have a rate of return over their lifetime of essentially zero and about a quarter straight up take a dirt nap. They go, they go bankrupt. And on the private side, you know, startups, everyone says this, they go, most startups fail. And then you talk to any 
startup founder and they never believe it's going to be them, right? Like you have to have that delusion that you're going to be the successful one or else you would never do it. Because let's be honest, it's way too much work. I mean, it, there's the most exhausting job on the planet is being an entrepreneur. Um, I wouldn't wish it upon anyone um, except for the people that just can't take it. They can't not do it, right? They're, they're driven by this um, burning desire to uh, create whatever sort of um, product or service it is. And so when, and when you see it and it works, it's magic. Like there's no cooler thing to see than the, that elusive product market fit where someone has an idea. And in particular, by the way, going back to the beginning origin stories of a lot of the companies that have been the most successful in my portfolio, but often you hear about this with books, you hear about it with companies, they're often not popular. And I know that's like a, a common saying, but it's hard to train that muscle when you see like seven VCs clamoring over a deal that everyone wants. It's easy to get sucked into that sort of herd mentality. You say, oh, I, I should invest in this too. But often it's the ones you're uncovering under a rock where say, well, why do I have this insight, but no one else does or no one else sees what I see? It's harder. And that applies to public markets too, you know, I think. Yeah, there's actually this joke and it goes, um, a VC walks into the bar and the bartender says, what, what would you like to drink? And he says, I'll have what everyone else is having. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's, I mean, you know, the behavioral side of all of this yeah. is, it's perfect. I mean, a, a good analogy in the public markets is you look at when were people, there was a sentiment surveys going back decades and says, when were people the most bullish on stocks ever. And it was at the peak of the dot-com bubble in 1999. The single highest valuation U.S. stocks have been in 120 years was when people wanted U.S. stocks the most. It makes no sense. It's the exact opposite of what it should be. And when were people most bearish? March of 2009. The best buying opportunity of all of our lifetimes was when people were the most bearish. They didn't want stocks. And so trying to train your brain to, you know, think independently, I think is, is really hard. You know, I, I think it's a easy to look down upon people um, and say, oh, no, I'll never do that. You know, I'm, I'm not going to chase the herd. And next thing you know, um, you know, you're, you're part of the herd. So it's, it's, a, it's a hard, uh, consistent and hard challenge to be aware of. So a startup just came to you with their pitch deck. And your reaction is, wow. What did they show you? For you to have that reaction? You know, I, I think there's, um, I tend to exist in sort of the seed series A world. So it's the company exists. It's not a pre-seed, just an idea. So usually it's a product or service that's out there just launched or maybe pre-launched, maybe post-launched, and it's starting to have some traction. And you're seeing that, you know, it's, it's filling some sort of, we do a huge, a huge, proportion of my investments are what I call frustration arbitrage. This is particularly um, uh, exists in emerging markets where something is just a pain in the ass, right? Where people do it, they hate doing it. It's maybe done on pen and paper, like a yellow notepad. And all of a sudden somebody develops a really hard solution that nobody else wanted to do, makes it software. And all of a sudden people are like, oh, this is way easier. Of course I'll pay $50 a month for this. And the next thing you know, they're doing a million in revenue, 5 million in revenue, 10 million in revenue. Um, 
there's a certain amount of ideas that you see that you're just like, oh my gosh, that is brilliant. I'll invest in that even if they don't have traction yet, because that's such a cool idea. And for me, a big part of it also is it's hard to invest in startups I don't care about. So if you're just helping Google sell more ads, like I'm probably not, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to get enthusiastic about that. Um, but it's just magic. Like often you see something and you're just like, wow, this person is his, you know, hit upon something that has been a thorn in someone's side for years and they just make life a little easier. And of course, then you have the ones that are like the commercial space stations. That's pretty cool too. So it's a little bit, a little bit of sprinkling of everything, but it fits everyone's personality. Some people will be like, you know, I'm going to gravitate towards prop tech or uh, biotech or uh, boring old, you know, tax software. Who knows what it is? Cool. Um, you know what? I actually did forget to tell you something. Mm-hmm. So we are famous for two things. The first is uplifting people out of poverty through investments in emerging markets. And the second is really, really bad jokes. So I got to ask you, what did the fish say when he swam into the wall? What? Damn. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. I come from a family of fishermen, so that's that's close. That's close to me. It's apt. (laughs) What do you call a fly with no wings? What? A walk. Oh, geez, that's tough. <laughs> oh, man. My my four-year-old would love these. He's, uh, the, the kids, kids jokes are his favorite, so. That's great. Some dad jokes to take home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. So, awesome. what advice would you give to other investors to be successful? So, one of the biggest ones is we poll people on Twitter consistently questions. We just did one this morning. Uh, but basically not as a way to get the answer, but to say to, to reflect. And one of the biggest ones is we ask people say, do you have a written investing plan? And it's like 90% don't. And that's a huge problem. It's a huge problem for anyone who, who wants to commit to an exercise or diet regimen, who has a new habit. It's almost new year's. So there are people thinking about resolutions and turning the page. And we say, all right, write down your investing plan. It doesn't have to be 10 pages. It could be half a page. It could be, you know what? I'm going to put half my money in stocks and half in bonds, rebounce it once a year, done. Easy peasy. It could be like, hey, I'm going to do uh, startup investing and I'm going to commit this much money for the next five years. And here's going to be my bet size or unit size for each investment. Maybe if I'm in love with it, I'll do 2x the bet size. Maybe if I just want to get a starter position and follow along, maybe I'll do a half bet size. So you start to get a plan. And then also, this is important, we also ask people, they spend 99% of the time, if they do have a plan or or investment theory, focusing on the buy. Is it a good time to buy stocks? What about Bitcoin? Is, um, Is the Fed moving rates? What about Omicron? Is it time for gold? On and on. Then they buy something and then they have no plan on how they think about selling it or holding it forever, right? It's It's sort of like, I'm just gonna wing it And the problem with that is you get emotionally attached to whatever it is. And so a good example for everyone listening, if you think you're, you know, this automated robot that doesn't work that way, well, go walk into your garage and look around at all the junk in your garage. Um, Would you go buy all of that tomorrow if it didn't exist? Of course not. Like that old rusty bike, you wouldn't buy that aquarium. It's been sitting there for 15 years, you know, um, And so that works with investments too, is people accumulate all these assets 
And then all of a sudden, once you accumulate something like a coffee cup, you have a behavioral attachment to it that's different than before you owned it. So try to plan out how you're going to approach getting rid of things. So it could be on startups, it's easy because they just go bankrupt or eventually get acquired or um, go public. Like you don't have really a say, but in public investments, you do. And what are you going to do? Also, think about it if you have a big winner. So most of us, you make an investment and it doubles. You're like, oh my God, the stock, amazing. I'm going to go on a, a vacation in Ibiza. I'm going to buy a new condo. I'm going to go out to dinner. But the 2X investment is just the first stop for the really big winners on the 5X, the 10X, the 50X, the 100X. And so you got to think about how are you going to liquidate the winners and portfolio size those as well. Because at one point, you make 100 investments and you hit on an Uber or a Google or Chipper Cash or one of these that all of a sudden is now 80%, 95% of your portfolio, you darn well are going to have a different emotional attachment to that than you did when it was 1%. And so thinking about all this ahead of time helps uh, so the emotions don't creep in. And when they creep in, that's where the fractures and problems happen. And, and as we know, people behave really foolishly when uh, emotions and money uh, cross. Cool. So we are coming up to the end of our show and I'm going to go into the three super fast questions. So I'm going to ask you three questions and you've got to answer in one word or one sentence. Are you ready? Nearly impossible for me. Let's do it. <laughs> Who is your biggest inspiration? I'm going to, I'm going to, corner this just to markets and public markets is the first person that came to mind. I'm going to say Rob Arnott. You'll have to Google his writing listeners if you don't know who he is. He's kind of the OG of public markets and research. What is the hottest industry right now? Oh, it has to be crypto, anything crypto related. And how do you define success? Um, there's a quote on my blog uh, if you go to mebfaber.com that talks about this from a, a, a mountain climber and it talks about money and I'll get it wrong, but it says something along the lines of, you know, we don't live to eat and make money. Uh, we eat and make money to be able to enjoy life and on and on about like, you know, kind of what's the point of all this in the first place. Uh, and so I think um, thinking about in terms of wealth is freedom rather than, you know, something you you just want to have to spend, I think, is a, is a wonderful uh, mental model. Great. Well, thank you so much, Meb. Your story has been really inspirational and your insights have been wonderful. I'm sure that listeners, our three listeners, uh, have a lot to take home with them. Thanks so much, awesome. Meb. You've Mary. been absolutely great. It's been a blast. You guys say hi, listeners, if you're in Los Angeles, um, and uh, we'll do it again sometime. Cool. Thanks, Mabe.